We've been looking at this story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost son, as it says in my Bible it's called. Uh, I'm going to call it the prodigal parable, because uh, I think it's a parable about prodigal rather than a prodigal son. And um, last week I talked about the, the younger son. Um, the story, if you're not fully aware of it, is that um, Jesus told a story about a dad and two sons. One of them said, hey, the younger one said, hey, I would like my inheritance now. And his dad said, okay, and he gave him it. And we talked last week of how that was probably, probably more loving of the father than receiving him in the first place. Because it meant ripping apart his whole life. It meant being ridiculed in the community. It meant giving up everything, giving up his stature and all sorts. So even just to let him have his inheritance was incredibly caring and loving of the father. And then eventually the son comes back. Uh, he goes, spends all the money, has what he thinks is a fantastic time, and he probably enjoyed most of it. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't do things that are not good for us if we didn't enjoy them. So he probably went and enjoyed it. And then he comes back and Dad welcomes him. And um, we got to that bit. And um, Jesus is telling this story to two different people. The Bible tells us at the beginning there are some tax collectors and sinners. And then there's the Pharisees, which is like a way of saying the people are in, the people that are out, uh, as opposed in Jesus' time. But what's, what's fascinating is that this story has so many incredible layers to it. It's amazing. Um, it really is incredible, the different layers and different things. Uh, before we go on to the older son, which is what I want to explore this morning, I want to remind you of one of the key points of last week. Because much is made of the father's welcome. When the younger son decides to return, the father goes all out. He gives him a, a ring and a cloak, and it's all symbolizing identity and welcoming back. And it's this like, massively excited, I'm so pleased to have you home. And um, have we got that first slide there? We said this, that what, what if the reception the father gave the younger son when he got it wrong is the only reception the father knows? What if that's his reception to everything, every time? We often seem to think that because, or, or we've been told the story, that because this guy got it so wrong and he's come home and the, the father's so relieved, that's why he throws a big welcome. But I believe that big welcome is the only welcome father knows which has got some fascinating implications because we make a distinction between how wrong we get it and how right we get it. We often make distinctions on others about how wrong they get it and how right they get it. We categorize our errors and our mistakes and our failings. We rank them into small things and big things. And if you think of Father's house being, being kind of in the presence of the Father, and then we all really leave Father's house and come back. Just some of us go a little bit further away than others in our mind. But, but what if Father don't make a distinction? What if one step outside the Father's house is just the same as a thousand miles outside Father's house because you're outside the Father's house? And I think when Father thinks of it, he thinks like that, and we should think of it like that when we think about other people. The issue is not how far you left Father, it's the fact you left Father. Otherwise, we kind of manage to justify ourselves, as we'll see in a little minute. But there's a real, there's a real kind of potential problem when we start to think, well, I've only left Father's house a little bit. Yeah, but you were still outside. The issue is not how far you ran down the garden, it's the fact that you went into the garden. So, uh, and, and then when we get it wrong, we often get caught up, particularly if you've been in church for, for a little while. We know we're meant to get it right, and we know we're not meant to get it wrong, and we know God loves us, but we feel we've got to be guilty for a little while first, so we get caught up in these guilt, confess, get it wrong, guilt, confess, get it, and we get caught in these ridiculous cycles of, 
effectively going out of Father's house, coming back, please, Dad, can I come back in? I'm really sorry. And then when we've got it really wrong, we think this Father, we've got to grovel, so sometimes we're down on our hands and knees, kind of crawling back, going, I'm really, really sorry this time, will you let me in? But each time, Father puts a ring on your finger and a, a, a cloak on your back and gets the fatty calf out. Each time, because he doesn't know any other welcome. That's the Father's heart that I know. There is no other welcome other than, come on in. I love you, let's kill the fired calf. I mean, he's going to kill a lot of fired calves for me because I've been in and out a lot. But that's because he likes to feast and he likes to celebrate, as we will see. So let's explore the rest of this story, but bear, bear that in mind. That's the response of the father. So Luke 15, uh, verse 25 to 32. So the, the, son's the younger son's disappeared and he's come back. Dad's made this great big show of, woohoo, you're back. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So he's working for dad in his field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother's come, he replied. And dad's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fine calf for him. Now, it's easy to have a little bit of kind of like sympathy for him, isn't it? You've worked all your life in Dad's house. You've done everything he's asked. And you didn't even get a goat. Like, Dad, come on, I want a goat. I'm not even asking for a fine calf. I just want a goat. And you didn't even get that. I, I have sympathy. I go, I can, I'm with him a little bit. I don't want to be with him, but I know part of me is with him a little bit. How come I have to stay here, serve you, he gets to go away, enjoys all the things I've never even tried, but part of me might like to, but I don't dare, comes back, and, yeah, we know, and then, it's all right, you can just be honest, and then, and then he gets welcomed home as though no, it's wrong. I can see his sense of injustice. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours, which at first reading doesn't really seem to be an answer, does it? But we'll see there it is. But we had, to we had to celebrate him again because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again and was lost as found. So let's explore this older brother because it's fascinating. There's a party going on, there's a banquet, there's a feast, there's music, there's dancing, but somebody is not present. He says he's refused to go in. And that's where we come to understand that this son is also lost in a very different way and because of very different reasons, but he is also lost. He chooses to remain outside the festivities. So, so there's a party going on, and he goes, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, well, the younger son went, there's a party going on, and I don't want anything to do with that. There was always a party in Dad's house, because Dad's there. And wherever Dad is, there's a party going on. And the younger son went, I, I want to go to a different party, because I think there might be a more exciting party, a more fascinating party, a more fulfilling party. But, but then now there is a party going on, and the older son goes, well, I don't want to go to that party. I'm going to stay out here, on my own. And listen... It says, where does it say it? So father went out. So just as father goes out to the younger son and waits for him, so father has to go out to the older son because he's outside. So father goes out. Father always goes out first. So, so, so he makes the first move. Whether we've run off miles and miles or remained at home and, and done all the right things, he still has to come out to us. He still moves towards us. He still makes the first move, regardless of how wrong we think we've got it or how right we feel we've got it. God moves towards us. But there's a difference. 
Because when the younger son comes back and dad goes out to him, he goes, dad, I'm really, really sorry. When dad goes out to the older son, you don't get that. In fact, dad, dad has to plead with him to come in. The younger son goes, I know I've made a big mess. I'm, I, I, please, can I come back? The older son goes, dad has to go, please come in. Will you please come and join the pack? The elder son's no different to the younger son. Look at his response to the father's pleading. First of all, the very fact that he's not there is already dishonouring dad. In this shame culture we talked about, like everybody's going, I mean, you know, you go to a party. If, my, if it were a party for one of my brothers, brothers, not my brothers, my kids, all right, let's say Josh is having a party and Isaac's not there, everybody's going to go, where's Isaac? Are they? They're going to want to know where the brother is. So he's, and, and dad's got to find a reason. He's got to find a reason to cover up the embarrassment that one of his sons isn't present at this party that everybody else seems to be celebrating. And then he decides he's going to have some words. He goes, look, you can just imagine him pointing his finger at dad. Well, once again, 2,000 years ago, you don't speak to dad like that and you definitely don't point your finger at dad. This is hugely disrespectful, hugely dishonoring. We kind of think it's normal now for a, a son to say to a dad, look, because we've, we've developed teenagerity or something. But, but, but that was like unheard of because of course at 13 you're an adult and you're expected to act like an adult. But he goes, look, this kind of outrageous thing. Here. Look, look at my track record. Look at my years of service. Look at my unblemished record. He uses the word slaving for him. Never your, disobeyed your orders. In other words, I've done some stuff for you and now you act like this. It's not fair. Where's the justice? I work my backside off. He goes away, squanders everything and gets treated like a prince. I work my backside off and get jack on. That's what is really going on if Jesus were telling it today. The older son has issues just like the younger son. They're just more subtle, less obvious. He shows all this dishonor and disrespect, refuses to be reconciled, embarrasses his dad by not turning up to the party. But what's fascinating is that one of the things Jesus is doing in this story is redefining what it means to be lost. You see, generally, in church gone by, lost meant you were outside the church, you were doing the terrible, terrible things, and you were lost. But I want to tell you, there are plenty of people who are lost in the church. Because Jesus is redefining what it means to be lost. Because we read in the Bible, we're designed to live in community with God and with one another. And when we choose to live without him, then we lose something. We lose a relationship and intimacy and his love and his compassion, his grace that we can actually feel and sense. But often in Christian circles, this idea of being found is like this one-time event. So, so I found God, or God found me, or, or I gave my life to Jesus, or I said yes to God, or, or I, I realized that I need Father God in my life, or I realized that I wanted to meet Jesus, or whatever words we use, it's like limited to this, this well, this is an event now, and I was lost, and now I'm found. But what if being found is a journey? What if being found is something you continually go on? Because you are also sometimes lost. Josh, have you got that next slide? You see, perhaps we're on a journey of being found. Perhaps it's possible to know Jesus and yet still be quite lost. Because perhaps being found is not a one-time event, but a lifetime process. Because we're talking about being found in Father's house. To know what it is to be found in the Father's house. To know what it is to live in Father's house. That doesn't happen overnight. Learning that God loves you unconditionally. Learning that he never judges you, that's to live in Father's house. 
Learning to express that un unconditional love and non-judgmental way of living to those around you is living in Father's house. So we can be found and yet we can be lost. So we're found, we know where Father's house is and we, we, we've said, yeah, Dad, I want to be in your house, but then, then learning to live in Father's house. Learning to live the protocol of Father's house. Well, that's a whole other thing. A whole other thing. You see, Jesus shows us via this story there are two ways to be lost. You can be really, really bad in inverted commas and, and squander what you've been given in what you might call wild living. Or you can be really, really good in inverted commas and live a life that looks wonderful and yet still be lost. The elder son had no idea of father's heart. He was in father's house, but he didn't have father's heart. There are plenty of people in father's house that don't yet have father's heart. Because if, if he'd have had father's heart, he would have been rejoicing and stood out there with his son. In fact, this is the third parable Jesus told to be, tells about being lost. The first one is about uh, 100 sheep and you lose when you go find it. The other one's 10 coins, you lose his one. What should the other son have been doing? He should have been out looking for the young, younger son. If you understand Jesus' parables, they leave the 99 and look for the one. They don't worry about the nine and look for the one. What should he be doing? He should have been out there looking for him. If he'd have actually understood Father's heart, he would have been out there seeking for him day and night until he found him and brought him home. But Jesus is also showing us that those of us that have worked hard at doing all the right things can also be a little bit lost. Because for those of us that know about serving and know about loving Jesus, those of us that have been brought up in this environment that, that perhaps is all about doing and getting it right and reading your Bible and praying and doing all this stuff, it's very easy to think that as we've given up our lives for others and for Jesus, we can be very tempted to respond to God like the older brother. When God doesn't respond how we think he should. When he extends incredible grace to people who we might think don't deserve it because they've not worked as hard as us. When good things happen to people who don't do the good things we do, it's very easy to say, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. It's really easy. It's really, really easy. We can be easily sucked into a mindset, and this is why the sons are just the same. We can be easily sucked into a mindset that wants the father's things but does not want the father. We can so easily look upon all our good deeds and ask, where is my reward? We can be expectant that we shouldn't be ill, shouldn't struggle financially, shouldn't struggle relationally. Not because we're in faith, but because there's this long list of things that I have done for you, God, so now I want my reward. There's a real danger, and it's so easy. The truth is, just as we could say about the younger son, Josh, next one, so we can say it about the elder son, both sons want the father's things, but don't want the father. Listen to him. He doesn't say, thank you that I've lived in your house. He says, what about me, goat? He wants the father's things. He's upset that he doesn't have a goat. But listen, this is what's fascinating. This is the response. Next one, Josh. My son, the father said, you are always with me. So the elder son wants the father's things. He wants a goat, but he already had the father. He was already with the father. You were always with me. But being with the father wasn't enough for him. Father's presence wasn't sufficient. He wanted a goat as well. The older son had the same welcome from father as the younger son, but he didn't realise it. Perhaps he was so busy slaving to impress father, slaving away, obeying father's orders, that he was too busy to just sit with him. I imagine dad sitting down in the house, all ready to enjoy time with the son, but the son doesn't make the time because he's too busy running around the house trying to make sure father is pleased and all the jobs are done. What he doesn't realise is that father is already pleased. And the jobs aren't going to please Father. 
Being with Father is what Father wants. Perhaps the son is looking for the wrong, wrong reward. Perhaps the reward is the awareness that he's always with you. And you're always in his house. What about you? What reward are you thinking you deserve for all your sacrifice and hard work so far this year? What, what relationship are you uh, upset him for not fixing him because you've done A, B, C and D and you've prayed every day so it should be sorted by now? And what, what financial provision are you expecting because you've worked extra hard and you've given and you've tithed and you've done all this stuff? Maybe we're looking for the wrong thing. Perhaps in all our hard work and our serving, we feel we deserve something more. But his response to, want, to, the, to the older son wanting to go was, Son, I am with you always. The problem is not that you don't get a reward. It's that in slaving for Father, you forget that he's with you. And there's a real tendency, particularly, like I say, if you've been brought up in church for quite a while, that we end up slaving for him. We end up doing this for him and that for him and the other for him and trying to do this and that and I'm doing this and you call me to do this and you call me to do that and I, I did this for this person and gave this here and did this there and I'm up at this time and I'm doing all this. And we get into this slaving mentality. And it's all just below the surface. And it, but, but when we see it, we're like, oh, yeah, what am I doing? But, but for some of us, this, this move towards a dad who just wants to be with us is not easy. And if you've not had all these years of kind of trying to be told you've got a slave, it's, it's a great blessing because you can just enjoy being with dad. You can just enjoy the fact that he's with you always and he's always got you. The eldest son lived in the presence of father every day and yet he complained when the younger son was welcomed home into that same presence that he enjoyed. Just think about it. When the younger son got welcomed into the presence, he already had, he complained. What's that? Of course, he's upset. I've done all the right things, he's done nothing. Well, that's what God does. That's what God's like. That's called grace. You read the other parable Jesus told. When all these people worked, somebody started at 9 o'clock, somebody started at 11 o'clock, somebody started at 1 o'clock, somebody started at 3 o'clock, and Jesus went, they all got paid the same. What the heck? What's that all about? Because... Because his grace is the same. And it's not about what you do. It's not about how hard you work. It's about the fact that he wants to be with you. And that he loves you. The issue was he didn't appreciate Father's presence. He wasn't aware of the power of Father's presence. So busy running around, he forgot that what was most important was not the jobs, but actually being with Father. He'd come to see that as long as he did everything Father asked, Father would be happy. But the primary thing Father wanted was to be with him. Dad didn't have a jobs lift waiting to be ticked off. He was sat down in his chair waiting for him to come and spend time with him. And of course, it's, it's not always an easy one because you feel like the jobs are still there and God's called you to do the jobs, and he probably has. And he, but, but there's got to be a shift somehow in us that it's not, the, it's, not the, it's not the jobs and the tasks and the giving and the serving and the sowing. They don't get you anywhere with Father. Because you already are somewhere with Father. And in a right place, we, we, we often do the jobs and then try and be with Father through the jobs, but, but we've got to spin it on its head and, and be with Father and how we've been with Father, do the jobs. It's so easy to get sucked in this mindset of wanting to find out what Father wants and trying to make sure you do everything he asks of you. But he loves you and he's with you. And Father God does not want you to be a slave to him. You know, he says, I've been slaving for you. 
Slaves work because they're fearful of what might happen if they do not work. There's no joy in what they do. Just, well, if I don't do it, this might happen. But God is with you. It's so easy to have a mindset like the elder brother and expect something back from our serving and giving. It's very easy to operate with a credit and debit system, noting down who we have blessed and what we've done and how we've given up our lives and whether God has blessed us back in return as we see fit. It's really easy to keep a record of our good works so we know when we have been rewarded in some way. In other words, it's very easy for our actions to flow from a heart that is seeking Father's things rather than Father. A heart which seeks the reward and not the rewarder. But listen, if you find in your hearts, like I did when I got this, that I look a little bit like the older brother, there's a simple solution. You follow the example of the younger brother. You say sorry. You recognise that your mindset's not honouring Father and you commit to live a different way. And you thank him. As soon as you turn around, you get the same welcome the younger son did. And he says, come on, son. There's your ring. There's your sandals. There's your cloak. You're part of my household. This story is not about a prodigal son. It's about two lost sons and a prodigal father. That's digest. To be prodigal means to be recklessly extravagant. This father is recklessly extravagant because both sons were lost in entirely different ways and he welcomed both of them back in exactly the same way. There are two ways to be lost. You can be really, really bad and squander what you've been given or you can be really, really good and say all the right things and yet still be completely, totally and utterly lost. The reality is that it doesn't really matter which one it is or anywhere in between because he loves you. And he's prodigal towards you. He's recklessly, extravagantly towards you. And remember this. Whether you feel more like the older son or the younger son, Father came out of the house to meet you. Father came out. And he comes out to you. Wherever you're at, in that place, whatever your heart's telling you right now, Father comes to you. Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, I thank you so much that you are a God who reaches out all the time. You're a God who comes out to us. You're a God who reaches. You're a God who stretches. You're a God who wants to be with us and be a part of us. You're a God who is always reaching out towards us. Whatever we think about us, whatever we think about you, whatever we think about the world around us, you are stretching and reaching towards us. And Father, I am asking right now that every person in this room would know your reach towards them, Father whether they've been aware of you for many, many years or whether they're not even sure they are aware of you, Father, would you reach out to each and every one, Lord, in this room? Because your beautiful love, Father, reaches out to each and every one of us. Your unconditional grace reaches out to each and every one of us. It says it's okay. I'm with you. I'm for you. And I want to thank you that you are recklessly extravagant towards us, that you have spent everything on us and continue to give it away. And Lord, we thank you, Lord. Father, we want to be people who live in Father's house and have Father's heart. I don't want to be in Father's house, but be lost in it. I want to have the heart of the Father and live in Father's house. And Lord, I thank you that as a family and a community, we are heading that way more and more. We're knowing what it means to have Father's heart. We're knowing what it means to look, look like Father, speak like Father, act like Father. 
And I thank you for that incredible privilege of seeing this family and community grow to be the people who were created to be. In Jesus' name, amen.